is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I am so excited to welcome Melissa Daimler to the show. Melissa will talk about how leaders must disintegrate what no longer serves the company and remake their culture. It's the key to navigating the next evolution of work, and I am really eager to dive into a juicy conversation. Melissa, welcome. Thank you, Caroline. It's great to be here. So we're going to unpack this beautiful new book, and you are really on a mission to help us design and maybe redesign work culture. You know, we're we're at an interesting point in the world. We're still navigating the pandemic journey. A few months ago I might have said, gosh, we're we're went from a pandemic to an endemic, but COVID is sort of rearing <laughs> its head again. So never, you know, never assume that things are are what we think they are. So there's a real return to the office transition and culture is front and center. So set us up how do we need to start thinking about culture? Because there's so many questions with hybrid models, four-day work weeks, you name it. This is your expertise. Set us up for how we're going to get started today. I think that a lot of companies right now, I'm getting asked the question, you know, how do we bring our culture back? Uh, I feel like that's in every other conversation. And I think it's the wrong question because it's assuming that we're essentially asking, how do we get people back into the office? And that is not what culture is. Uh, you know, I think we have never really defined culture and it's part of the reason I, I wanted to write this book so badly. Uh, I, I think there's so many definitions of culture out there that uh, you know, that it's leaves on a tree, it's a personality, it's what motivates employees, it's, it's what engages employees. And I think that culture is a much more, uh, has a much more operational definition. Um, and it's, it's really about not just what's at the office, it's more about how we work with each other. So I think the right question is, you know, how do we continue to create a culture that exemplifies uh, how we want to be with each other, that exemplifies those behaviors that we ascribe to and that we say are part of our, our playbook as an organization. You know, I'm I'm so grateful for that clarity because you're right. Culture is often misinterpreted. I remember when when Google was was really starting to attract uh, talent years ago. I mean, they they're ubiquitous now. They're everywhere. But in the beginning, it was they have a snack cart and they have all these fun things <laughs> and you know all those perks were just that they're perks, but they're they're not culture. So how do we help organizations understand that it is about how we work and not the coffee bar? Yeah, I love how you you said that. Yeah, I I think I mean don't get me wrong. I mean I I loved we had these amazing maple bacon donuts at Twitter, and I I love a good game of ping pong. Those are those are all uh, great ways to connect with people, and I think that's what people really wanted. So, um, you know, culture is a, a few things uh, that I that I talk about in my book. I I, I think it's 
it's how work happens between people. And I, and I say that it's a verb, not a noun. Um, so often we think of culture as this one-off HR initiative versus this ongoing set of actions that we need to keep focusing on and, and continue to reconnect. And one of the main pieces of defining culture is our behaviors. Um, mm. And so often I, I think that, you know, people with all of these other definitions that I shared before, one of the main ones is it's our values. And so often cult, um, companies stop defining their culture when they've created this list of values. And I think we need to go one or two steps further in not just defining our values, but defining what those values mean. What are those behaviors that actually show up in a company when you say we have teamwork? Is it, uh, you know, we uh, collaborate with each other? Is it we clarify roles before major projects? Is it we do pre and post mortems? Like, what, what is it more specifically that we do on a day-to-day -day basis that describes more of, of those behaviors? And then culturally, more importantly, how can we embed those into the day-to-day -day work? How can we embed those behaviors into how we hire, how we onboard, how we make decisions? So I, I think that's more of, of what culture really is. I, I love how you describe that. And, and I'm going to riff on that a little bit. It's putting our values into practice because everybody's yes. got their values on their website and it all looks good mm -hmm. and they've got it on the wall and they're, you know, they're all over the branding. But if you're not practicing and living and working, as you said, those values, then it's really for naught. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I, you know, I've I've been doing this for a bit. I've, yeah. I've been in in uh, in this career for over twenty years now, and you know, I have forever heard, you know, performance reviews are awful. It's really hard to promote people because there's inconsistency in how we look at people across function and roles. Um, you know, I I have such a hard time giving feedback to my colleagues or my employees, and I think. Part of the, the major reason that those processes and practices are so hard is because we haven't defined what good looks like. We haven't defined what it is we're wanting to give feedback on, what it is we're expecting if we're going to promote people. So I think that taking the time to define those behaviors makes all of those processes and practices much easier. You know, what I find really fascinating, and I can't, I can't broad brush this, so I'll just give you an anecdotal bit here. So many companies don't ask their talent pool, their their employees, to say what is meaningful to you and how might we mm -hmm. build this culture together. I, I think, uh, again, as a coach, my roots as a coach, your roots as a coach, mm -hmm. you know, listening to the end user, if you will, is an important part of the equation that is often not done. I totally agree with you. Uh, I, you know, I, I often get the question too of, "Hey, should culture be designed from the top, or should it, you know, come from the employees?" And I, I think it's a, it's co-created. I think that it is something that we should always be looking at, and that leaders should be supporting and providing input into, and employees need to understand the context and the why behind 
you know, why we're even looking at this? Why did we pick these behaviors? Why are these important now? And when it is time to maybe iterate on those behaviors, maybe iterate on those practices, we understand why, because something's changed in the strategy or we've evolved. You know, when we first created these, we were 500 people, now we're 2000. So that's where the continuous process comes into play. The book is so beautiful to read. I uh, really loved it. I couldn't put it down. And you employ a number <laughs> of sailing metaphors to describe reculturing. So tell us more about that. I found that fascinating. I, yeah, I had to get the sailing stories in there. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin and sailed with my dad on most Saturdays on, on a, a small lake, Lake Mendota. And we took out our 23 foot uh, sailboat and I didn't know it at the time, but my dad was essentially teaching me systems thinking because for anybody that has, has sailed, uh, it, it's, it's not just about looking at the wind or, or moving the tiller in, in one direction. It's, it's doing all of those things at the same time and understanding where the connections are. So I would you know, move the tiller to the right. And, you know, my dad would say, well, what's the wind doing? And, you know, watch that boat over there. And what is your crew doing? And you need to pull this line. And so it was just interesting as I reflected back and as I looked at my my own career, how much systems thinking has impacted uh, my career. Because I've always been fascinated with not just looking at uh, strategy of a company, uh, but also looking at the culture, you know, how we're working beyond just what we're working on and why we're working on it. What is our purpose? And it would always be looking at and asking questions with leaders, which I'm, I'm sure you do as part of coaching, you know, why did that happen? Or, you know, what, what's underneath that issue? It was, it's never, and you know this as well, it's never the presenting issue or it's rarely the presenting issue. It's always a few questions away from that. And so um, this idea of systems thinking and connecting these parts and getting underneath uh, those presenting problems was, was something that I was always fascinated with. And I think it, it really ties nicely to thinking about uh, organizational culture and how we need to continue to look at connecting all of those pieces in an organization. Well, cheers to your dad. What a great way to learn systems <laughs> thinking. I love yeah. it. That brings yeah. a smile to my face. Melissa, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. 
really want to dive a little deeper, uh, not only because I'm a total nerd about this and, and so excited about your work, but I, I want to entice people to really think about how they can use this book to impact and transform culture in their organizations. So talk to me about what you think are the three most important elements of a company culture. Let's start with that baseline. Sure. So I have defined reculturing and, and it, it took a bit to define this because I, I wanted to make it simple enough. Uh, and I, I wanted people to uh, also understand parts of the organization that they're already working with. So there's three parts to reculturing. One is the the behaviors that we talked about. So going beyond just, just the values, what are, what are the behaviors that I would be seeing you doing? You know, how, how can we take whatever our values are and, and translating those into behaviors that we can actually see each other do. And then the next part is processes. So things like uh, hiring, how can we then take um, some of those behaviors and put those into our hiring questions, make them behavioral and ask candidates, potential candidates, uh, you know, what some of those questions are so that we can truly identify where there is a complement with culture, what more they can add to our culture. Um, and then things like uh, what we're already doing with talent management, feedback, performance management, promotions, all of those things that, again, we're already doing within an organization, but this helps us make those processes much more consistent when we've already defined what those behaviors are. So there's the behaviors, processes, and then we have practices. So, so these are things like um, meetings, how we communicate, how we connect with each other, even how we learn. And so often, and, and I've had this experience as well in several companies, we create these practices and unknowingly as we evolve as a company, we don't evolve those practices. So a, a common example that I've experienced with, with a few companies in particular, uh, we had this at Twitter when I was there, is the all hands uh, uh, meetings. So at Twitter, we had uh, what we called tea time every Friday afternoon. And it was great. You know, we would have a little happy hour. Employees would get together in San Francisco. We would have an update from our CEO and the leadership team. It was a wonderful way to connect and communicate updates about the company. However, as the company grew and we became more global, Friday afternoons was late in the evening on, on Friday evenings for London. And it was already the weekend in Tokyo. So it was a great practice, again, to communicate and connect, but how we did it had to change. So we moved these global meetings from Friday afternoon to uh, earlier in the day. We had, had them be at different times and we had different locations host. So it wasn't always San Francisco based. So again, it was this really nice example of a wonderful practice but one that had to change how it showed up and how we did it over time. I like it. So you, you had to be adaptive. That's a great example. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. there, there are certainly gaps that derail culture and drive away talent. And this is a very interesting time. The talent wars are hot and heavy. You know, there are a lot of opportunities out there and people are looking for that culture fit. So this is a two-part question because you do address culture fit in the book. And I'd love for you to talk about that. But first, Melissa, tell us what, what companies are doing poorly that is really causing talent to leave. I, you know, I, it's so interesting because I, I, I think that uh, the employee contract that we used to have before uh, did not necessarily include things like, I want to make sure I have a great culture. I want to make sure I have flexibility. Uh, I want to make sure I have a meaningful employee experience. I want to make sure that I'm continuing to develop my skill sets and I'm growing, not just in this job, but in my career. All of those were things I think you and I wanted to have. It, it was ideal, but we didn't. Nece- it wasn't necessarily going to break the contract if if uh, our organization <laughs> didn't have those things. So I think those are now must-haves for for companies to attract the kind of people uh, that that we want to attract. Those things have to be in place. So a lot of uh, employees are, I, I think I read a statistic the other day where um, 85% of applicants looking at jobs are looking at the culture and really diving in to see, are they walking their talk? Do they really live their values? How does that show up? Will I really have flexibility in how I work? Will I grow? So I, I think that has been a big shift in uh, how people are looking at their job and companies have to have to show that they can't just as we said before throw a bunch of values up on the website and expect that people are going to be attracted to the company um, so I, I think uh, making sure that our your culture and what you believe in and those behaviors that we've talked about uh, show up from the minute you call the potential candidate uh, to the day they start, uh, and to, to day 30 to day 90, I mean, we're, they're always looking at, um, is this really, is this the job for me? Because they have so many more options now in terms of culture fit. You know, I, I think that that has gotten a, a bad rap. Uh, you know, I, I was one of them who said, Oh, you know, I, I think that you're right. Culture fit is not, is not a great word, but I also think it's, it's important that we clarify what we mean. If I know a lot of companies who still use it. And if, if you clarify that it really is about ensuring we're asking those behavioral questions that, that, you know, we're within the context of what we want as, as a company from an employee and what the employee wants from us, I can understand how that word still resonates for a lot of people and I think, you know, I also talk about this in my book, language does matter. And I think some of these other words that have come up around culture complement or culture add, I like them a little bit better just because I, I, I think it speaks to the diversity that is so necessary for us to, to be aware of now, that it's not just about, um, you know, making sure that we have diverse initiatives and that that we are aware of uh, diversity and inclusion, 
but we are hiring people with diverse perspectives. We are hiring people with diverse ways of thinking so that we can add additional perspectives to our organization. So culture fit, again, I, I think if you use it and explain how you define it, it's okay. But but I think it's now had a, it connotates being similar to people we already have in the organization. So you, you wrote about how companies must become learning organization. Now that resonated loud and clearly with me, but tell our global audience why that matters. I think in my career, I've, I've really been working at the intersection of culture and learning. I think these two pieces work so well together and they need each other. Um, I have always been a big believer that contextual learning and learning within the, the context of our work is the best uh, it's the best way to learn. I, I often talk about work being our, our learning lab. It is the best way to understand, you know, what are our triggers? Uh, what makes us happy? What, what has us be engaged? Where do we still need to develop? And so uh, in terms of learning, this goes back to the behaviors. When we've defined more clearly how we're going to work with each other and what those behaviors are across our organization, it is so much easier to then define what skills we're going to help people learn. So if innovation is a value and one of the behaviors we say around innovation is, um, you know, we, we get out prototypes faster or uh, we make sure to get out, you know, version one uh, more quickly, you know, less than 30 days, then a skill for that might be teaching uh, design thinking or teaching what a prototype looks like. So all of these pieces are connected. What we're expecting from employees is also connected to how we're helping employees develop those, those behaviors. So I've always been a big believer in you know, what I would call contextual learning and figuring out ways that we can, again, have a consistent language. We're all kind of developing consistent behaviors in terms of how we're working. And we then get to practice with each other on a daily basis. The book is chock full of, of resources and tools and action steps for the reader. But if you could pick one, what's, what's one thing you want to leave this global audience with today? Oof. Um, I would say a, a big piece that I would love to leave people with is that culture is happening by design or default. So we might as well design our cultures and, and be intentional about what we want to see and, and what we want for our employees. Fabulous. Melissa Daimler, I always learn so much from you. I am absolutely thrilled and grateful that you spent time with me today on the show. And I'm, I'm eager for our global audience to buy your book. It's called Reculturing, Design Your Company Culture to Connect with Strategy and Purpose for Lasting Success. Melissa, I wish you continued success and I hope our paths cross again soon. Thank you so much. This was fun. 
Hey, I want to remind our audience, too, that the book is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And Melissa, you and I share a passion for those local bookstores. So certainly check that out. And I'm yes. grateful that it's also available on Audible. So for those of you that like to listen to books, definitely check it out. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. Special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.